Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you? Happy Resurrection Sunday, New Life Church. Have you heard the news? That the tomb is still empty today. He's alive, amen? So grateful, welcome to New Life Church. Uh, it's an honor for you to be here today. I know the room is full. It's good to see everyone all dressed up, looking nice, smelling good, smiling. You sounded good. I was in the back right there listening to you, singing loud. So, so good to be with you. I want to remind you that next Sunday, we're going to continue resurrection celebration with our baptism Sunday, next Sunday. And we already have, I think, 130 or 140 people that are going to go into the waters of baptism. And let me just say, there's some of you watching online. First of all, can we welcome people that are watching online? There's a lot of reasons why people can't be here. Every Sunday, I don't know if you know this, but we have troops that are stationed around the world who this is their church. So I just want you to know, I, I know you, I see you. I'm praying for all our, our, our young men and women who are stationed around the world. Once again, can we say welcome to them on this Easter Sunday? We're also broadcast live in our state prison system. So it's, that's the most exclusive online viewing club, but they, uh, they're there, they're, they're watching, they're coming to Christ. I get letters every week from inmates who believe that the Lord's doing something powerful in their lives, salvation breaking out in our prison systems all over the state and they're watching us online today. We have a lot of elderly shut-ins who are just not able to get out. Uh, they watch online, so welcome. Happy Easter to all of you. Resurrection Sunday to all of you. And next Sunday, some of you have said yes. And what we're gonna talk about today is a very public demonstration of Jesus's love for all of, you, all of mankind. He was publicly crucified. He was publicly resurrected. He publicly ascended. And now when you begin to put your trust, your faith, your hope in him, it's time for some of you to go public with your faith and get into the waters of baptism. And listen, let me just say to you, Water Baptism Sunday at New Life is a wild, raucous party with no apologies, all right? I'm just telling you, bring your family, your friends. Uh, there'll be a time where we'll pray over you. You'll be a confession of your faith and then right into the waters of baptism with a huge celebration. Go online to register and be a part of that next Sunday. All right, turn in your Bible. Let's talk about the resurrection for a few minutes today. Matthew 27 and John chapter 20. We're gonna be in both places and we're gonna take a look at two very unfamiliar or at least one unfamiliar character and one familiar character in the story of the resurrection. And the first person we're gonna talk about in Matthew 27 is a tough centurion who has a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. And in Matthew 27, Jesus has breathed his last. Now, let me clarify some confusion. A lot of people wonder, did Jesus go into a coma? Did Jesus pass out? Was he just resuscitated? And it's very clear, the early church fathers made this very clear, and the scriptures make it very clear that Jesus died a very real death. So in this passage of scripture, Jesus is as dead as he can be. He is gone to the place of the dead. And it says at that moment, listen to what happens, at the very second that Jesus dies, resurrection power begins to break out all over the place. We, sometimes we believe that it took three days or, or you know, two nights and three days for that resurrection power to come out of the tomb. And no, as soon as Jesus breathes his last, resurrection power began bursting forth. 
And the very few minutes after he died, it says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now that's very important because up until that time, the, the ho most holy sacrifice for the payment of all sins had to happen in that holy of holy place. That's where the prayers were prayed. And when that temple was torn in two, it was a declaration that the final sacrifice had happened. That the, the most pure, the final, the most significant sacrifice for all mankind had happened. The lamb, the perfect spotless lamb of Christ was enough for all the sins of humankind. By the way, that's good news for all of us this morning. At that moment, it was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and listen to this, and the tombs broke open. I don't know if you know about this, but I want you to think, I was reading this this week, and I, I thought, actually I thought this was a bit funny in some ways, okay? The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life and they came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And I want you to think about you being at home. And there is a knock at the door. And grandma and grandpa who've been gone a long time are standing there. We're talking about holy people that came back. Now you can imagine the, the hysteria, the confusion, the bewilderment. There are people who have been dead a long time who are suddenly appearing and walking around the city. Jesus was not the only one to be resurrected. Resurrection power was bursting forth everywhere. And it says, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. And let's just stop for a moment. That, that's hard to believe. These were hardened soldiers. These were experienced military men. They, it, the fact that they were the ones doing the actual crucifixion meant they were not rookies. They were hardened, seasoned, trained terrorists. They knew how to inflict the most amount of pain. They knew how to take a human body and keep it alive a long time and inflict a lot of pain upon that human body in the process. They were masters at crowd control. They understood how to squelch a riot. They understood the power of the spear, the power of the bow, the power of the shield. They understood war. They understood casualties. They had seen bloodshed, murder, and mayhem more times than most human beings can imagine. These were not men that were easily frightened. These were not men that ran from battle. These were frontline, well-trained, professional soldiers that knew how to kill. But these men, these are not just any men, those men that I just described were terrified at what they had just witnessed. Terrified. And they said, surely he was the son of God. Surely we just killed the God man. Because see, they had been at the trial the day before. They heard the false accusations. They had heard what Jewish people had said about him. They had heard what his own disciples were proclaiming about him. And they thought, maybe we've made the greatest mistake in of our lives. Maybe we just killed the Son of God, the very first person to confess Jesus as the Son of God after the crucifixion was the very person who had crucified him. Now, why is this fascinating? Why should we be talking about this in church? 
Because I believe there are some of you in the room who have given up on some people in your life. Maybe there are people in your life who have been overwhelmed by trauma and have become violent. They have become difficult. They are beyond angry. Maybe they have wrestled with their own mental health to the point where you can't be around them for your own safety right now. Maybe culture and society and your family and our community has written those people off. Maybe you think they are beyond repair and beyond the reach of God. And yet the very first person to confess that Jesus is Lord was a man that everyone in that community had written off as beyond hope and beyond reach. The troubled soldier, the soldier who enjoyed violence, who was good at violence, who, who his, all his life had been marked by violence and bloodshed was the very first person to say, maybe, just maybe, this is the Son of God. This soldier had seen many crucifixions and he was accustomed to violence. He was involved in constant chaos, crowd control, and violent reprisals. Listen, I have walked the Via de Rosa, I've walked the place where most historians believe that Jesus, when he was, the final thing happened, the trial was over, they led him out of the city and that path that they led him on out of the city to outside the city gates is called the Via de Rosa, the way of the cross. And this very narrow passage of places in town, I mean, it's a, it's a place not much wider than this in some places, that's, the, that's where Jesus was led, beaten and bloodied. And along the way, he had many encounters with, uh, you know, with, with his family, with his disciples, with the crowd who mocked him. And those soldiers had been involved in that. They were beating back the crowd. They were beating back the disciples. They, they, all day long, they had spent every ounce of their energy to get that guy outside the city, to prepare him for crucifixion, and then to crucify him. These soldiers were exhausted. The soldier who had just mocked, beaten, and killed him was now confessing his belief in him. There's a couple of things about this that I want you to catch. I want you to remember this about this story. And the, the, first, the first point is that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. The resurrection story reminds us that Christ came for every human being, even those that we have marked off the list, even those that we have given up on. God has not given up on your grumpy neighbor. God has not given up on your uncle that you argue with at Thanksgiving. The one who is beyond your reach. Listen, there are people who are beyond your reach. There are people that I cannot reach. They're, they're beyond my reach. They won't talk with me. They won't have conversations with me. They despise me. They run from me. The same is true about you and me. But here is the good news. The Holy Spirit knows how to chase down every human soul. The Holy Spirit knows how to break through the darkness of, of, a, of a dark mind. He understands how to bring light to the darkest places. And the story of this soldier is about a man that had been written off, that somehow, some way, by the power of the resurrection, his eyes are opened, his life is changed, and we never hear from him again. We do not know his name, and we do not know how his story ended. But we do know that for at least one moment in his life, he came face to face with the Messiah who would save him. And here's the second thing about this story I think we need to really look at today and pay attention as our culture, especially in our city, is our trauma does not have the last word. Here's a man, we don't know how old this man was when he joined Rome's military, but oftentimes these young men were 15, 16, 17 years old. 
and they had no other options. For a lot of Roman soldiers, the only path to riches and glory went through the military. It, it was oftentimes that they found these young men with nothing, broken, messy, orphaned many times, and these were the young men that they raised up to be centurions. And these were men from rough backgrounds. Very few had family and friends to go back to. This man had been traumatized. He had conquered cities. He had killed innocent people. He was a man of much violence. He had trauma, but his trauma didn't have the final word. I think about in our culture today, how many people experience more trauma than we think. Just a few weeks ago, I was at a, a pastor's event and I was speaking there and a, there was a guy standing next to me. He was like this, this massive human being. 6'5", 250, I hit him on the shoulder and I thought I broke my wrist. He was just granite. He was like hitting concrete. I went, hey, how you doing? I went, I said, what do you do for a living? I thought he was a WWF wrestler or whatever, you know? I said, what do you, what, MMA, that's it. Is that the better one now? Okay. I've lost track of what the cool wrestling is and what's uncool wrestling. Anyway, so I hit him and I said, what do you do for a living? He says, oh, I'm a police officer. I said, well, what do you do in the police force? He goes, well, I... I oversee the SWAT team. I, I said, this is the large city that I was in. And I said, you're, the, you're like the leader of the SWAT team. He goes, yes. He said, well, tell me about your week. I want to hear what you did this week. That things that you can tell me, what, what happened to you this week? And he told me about multiple domestic disputes that he had to intervene in. Multiple times he put handcuffs on violent people. He said, I've drawn my weapon this week. I haven't had to fire it this week, but I had to draw it. He had been in multiple physical episodes where he had to overpower someone and get them to the ground. I said, and he, he got through telling me, I said, that was your week? He goes, that, that happened this week. He said, that's a normal week for me. And I just said, sir, I'm, I, so first of all, thank you so much for keeping our city safe. Thank you so much for being an honorable man, doing honorable work and keeping our city safe. And I just laid my hand on him. And I felt so moved, Lord, protect this man from the trauma of his job. May the trauma of his job not define him as a man. Father, would you protect him and give him a clear head, clean heart, pure lips. Father, would you bless him? But I also thought about the multitude of jobs right now where we're experiencing trauma. I was just in an ER visiting someone and I could see the stress on the doctors and the nurses because it was a busy, busy time. How much stress does our medical people have on them right now? EMTs, ER doctors, nurses working in trauma care every single day, trauma, trauma, trauma. I was just in an airport, the poor lady behind the desk at the airport. I was in the Houston airport and it was thunder. You could hear the thunder and lightning outside. And there was a man in front of me reading her the third degree for his flight being delayed. I mean, he was a jerk. The spirit of jerk was on this guy. <laughs> Finally, it was my turn. I knew she looked at me like, here we go, round two. I said, ma'am, I've been wanting to meet you my entire life. She goes, look at me and I said, you're the one who controls the weather. I've not been wanting to meet you my entire life. Listen, this is a true story. I got upgraded. That guy got bumped, I'll guarantee you. I, I got upgraded to first class. That's a true story. Listen, it's amazing how much being nice will get you today. It, it takes no courage to be a jerk, first of all. 
It takes a lot of courage sometimes to be nice. I actually wanted to be a jerk, but I was nice by the power of the Spirit. <laughs> but that's trauma she's getting, constant. Trauma, trauma. I thought about it, I just talked to a, a young school teacher in, in our city that teaches in your kids' schools. And she had been teaching in the inner city of New York City for the previous five years. She comes to sweet little Colorado Springs thinking this is going to be Disney. She said, Pastor Brady, I have been cursed at, yelled at, and threatened more in my two years here in Colorado Springs than in my entire career in Brooklyn. Trauma, the trauma that comes to us, the, the things that we, listen, if you're not careful, that stuff begins to corrode your soul. You become less than human being. You look up one day and you stopped feeling. You stopped caring. You can't show empathy. There's no concern. You cry for the right, wrong reasons and you yell for the wrong reasons. But we've lost our sense. And listen, this is what resurrection power does to us. Resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can break us out of that. It's the only thing that can heal our soul. Let me show you another figure, another person in this story, someone who is widely misunderstood in the resurrection story. And her name is Mary Magdalene. John chapter 20, verse 11. I don't, I don't know if you know this, and I'm not trying to pick on men here, okay? I'm just trying to read the Bible to you because the Bible's very clear that it was women who stayed there with him at his crucifixion. The men fled. It was women who found him the empty tomb and had to go tell the guys who were hiding. I'm just telling you, that's just the Bible, okay? All the ladies, I just threw you a big softball. Come on, say amen, come on. There we go. I can't do anything better for you, ladies. Mary stood outside the tomb. All the dudes were hiding. Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb, verse 11, and she was crying. Again, trauma. The resurrection story is full of traumatic moments. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Now, I'm not talking about a walk-in closet here, okay? Think about underneath your bed, the space underneath your bed. The tombs that you see in Jerusalem that Jesus may have been buried in are very small structures. I mean, they're, they're, they're tiny. And she peeks her head into this small, dark space. Now, think about seeing a spider at midnight, okay? How scary that is for some of you. She's, she looks in and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. No screaming and no running. This is a strong woman, would you agree? Not, not, I'd be terrified. Now, it gets worse. They ask her, woman, not only does she see the angels, the angels start talking to her. Woman, why are you crying? And she said, they have taken my Lord away. Now, that's very familiar language. Mary Magdalene, number one, she was not a prostitute. The Bible does not say that. That's a misunderstanding of her character. The Bible does say that at one point she had some demonic, uh, seven demons were cast out of her. Never was it mentioned that she was in prostitution. And never ever has it been mentioned or even inferred that she had an inappropriate relationship with the disciples or with Jesus. But she did know Jesus well because this language is very friendly, familiar language. My friend, someone I admire, someone I respect, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him, but I love this. Uh, she says, as she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, 
but she did not realize it was Jesus because his body had not yet been transformed. It was still a broken body. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? That's a question we all need to ask ourselves. What are we looking for today? Why are you here? What are you looking for? What kind of God are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, this is how tough she is. I love this. This is another strong woman here. She said, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him. I'll go get him. I love this lady. Listen, I don't know where you put him, but I'll get some of my girlfriends and we'll go get him. And then Jesus does something remarkable in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. There's a couple of things about this story that you need to really pay attention to. I know you've heard this story. If you've been in church very long, you've heard this story lots of times. But the first thing that's important about this particular story is that nobody, no one can find Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is the way to pray if you're praying for lost people right now. Let me give you a Trinitarian prayer. Father in heaven, by the power of your spirit, would you help my friend find Jesus? Father in heaven, by the strength and the revelation of your Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of my neighbor so they can see the goodness, the mercy, the forgiveness of Jesus? Don't pray to win an argument. Pray that they find Jesus by the power of the Spirit. So she's standing there. She's familiar with Jesus. She's been following Jesus for three years. And the Bible says that suddenly a revelation happened to her. The Spirit breathed into her and she saw Jesus. Listen, people that have walked around with Jesus for a long time can become so familiar with him that they don't see him. That's why constantly I'm asking, come Holy Spirit, awaken me, stir up in me the power of your spirit so I don't get a dim view of Jesus. Keep our eyes clearly focused on who Jesus is and you can only do that by the power of your spirit. But here's the most significant thing about this story. Jesus was always looking for the one. I love the story of him leaving the 99 sheep and finding the one. Jesus was always willing to go out and find the one lost person. So when Jesus turns to her and says, Mary, it's the only time in all of scripture when Mary Magdalene's name is mentioned in the Bible that this particular name is used to define her. Maria was her common name. So if she went to the grocery store or if she went to see her rabbi or if she went with some close friends, they would have all called her Maria, Mary Magdalene, the common name. That's not the name that Jesus used to identify her. He used the name we would call, in our English language, we would call Miriam. And that was a childhood, personal, private name that only those who knew her the best would know to call her. Now, Abram and Callie, are their 20, Abram's 24, Callie's 22, but from when they were tiny, tiny, I mean babies, I was holding them, I gave them kind of pet names at my house. Like Abram is called Buddy Boy. When I see him now, he'll walk into my house. I'll go, hey, Buddy Boy, what's going on? Hey, Buddy Boy, how was your day? Now he knows that when I say that, 
It's because I know him the best, I know him the longest, and that's a name that I am the only one that uses that name. You can't call him that. That's weird <laughs> and creepy. But if I call him that, he could be 44. When he's 54, I will say, hey, buddy boy, how was your day? And where are my grandkids? I'm going to use that name for the rest of my life with him. Why? Because it identifies an intimate relationship and connection that I am the only one that has with him. And that, that frame, Callie's name is Boo Girl. So for 22 years, hey, Boo Girl, if I saw her down, Boo Girl, what's up? How you doing, Boo Girl? She'll grunt at me. Ah. But it's Boo Girl. <laughs> no, you can't call her that. I can call her that because I know her the best and I know her the longest and it reveals a love that I have for her that is a special bond that no one else has. So when Jesus looks at her and says, Miriam, suddenly she realizes someone who really knows her, someone who has a long relationship with her, someone who understands her like no one else understands her, that name is what awakened her heart. That name is what opened her eyes and realized she was talking to Rabboni, Rabbani, my Lord. Listen, the good news about the resurrection story, Jesus knows you that way too. This is not a story about Jesus and Miriam. This is a story about Jesus and the human race. Every one of you has a name he calls you. This is the kind of relationship Jesus wants with every one of us. This is not exclusive to Mary Magdalene. This is inclusive of all of us. And I wanna pray for you this morning. Would you stand with me right now and let us pray together? I wanna to pray first this morning on this Easter Sunday for those of you that have experienced trauma. Trauma normally comes in the form of words an event, things that you've seen, things that you heard. And the resurrection story is a story of a traumatized people finding hope. The disciples were traumatized. They had just witnessed their leader be murdered outside the city gates. His mother was traumatized. She had just watched her firstborn son die. The, the, the centurions were traumatized by what they had Realized when they realized what they had done, can you imagine living with that for the rest of your life, traumatized? Trauma everywhere. Yet in the middle of that trauma, the spirit breaks out. Resurrection power overwhelms the world. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about a resurrected Jesus. And this morning, if you're here, you don't have to raise your hand, I don't wanna embarrass any of you. But if you're here today and you say, I just need help with the trauma that I'm, well, I've seen, trauma that I've experienced, maybe the trauma that you caused. All of us today can receive hope. I'm turning my hands toward the Lord today. You can do the same if you want, but I'm asking for resurrection power today. All of us in this room have seen trauma. We've experienced trauma. We've caused trauma. Father, today, would you forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness? Would you heal us 
Would you restore us? Would you overshadow us with your goodness and kindness and grace today? At the beginning of the service, that scripture popped up in the opening video. It said the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work within us. Lord, today the same power that raised Christ from the dead, I pray would overwhelm all of us. Come Holy Spirit. Do holy work in hidden places today. Do extravagant work in our lives today. Some of you have been wondering where Jesus is and Jesus today calls you by your name. The story of Jesus is not a story of Jesus running away from us, it's Jesus running toward us. Jesus has already done all the work that he can do for all of us. He's already given us all that he can give. He's, he's not a God running away, he's a God running toward you. He's not a God with his arms folded, he's a God with his arms wide open, welcoming you. And I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. Some of you are ready to start following Jesus. Some of you are ready to surrender your life to Christ. And the prayer that I'm gonna pray is super simple. And some of you are gonna say, it's gotta be more complicated than that. This is way too simple. Actually, God's already done the hard part. The complicated work has already been done by Jesus. That's what we're celebrating here today. It was pretty complicated. Resurrection stuff is complicated, but it happened. All we have to do is say yes and believe. So you're gonna hear a bunch of new lifers around you praying this prayer because we pray it out loud together all the time. But maybe you're here today and this will be your first time to pray that prayer. And it's gonna sound simple, but all you have to do is believe. The new lifers, would you pray this with me? Father in heaven, I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. I need a savior today. Right now, I choose Jesus as Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. I wanna follow you. So fill me with the Holy Spirit so I may follow Jesus every day of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for knowing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we say thank the Lord for people who prayed that today? So proud of you. Listen, if you need a Bible today, I wanna to give you a Bible. If you, I want you to start reading the Word. I'll give you one. They're really good ones too. They're expensive ones. I'll give you some nice Bibles today. Next Sunday, go public. If you prayed that in private today, tomorrow, let everybody know that you prayed it in private. Let everybody know that you're willing to go public and come be water baptized with us, all right? Let's worship one more time. Let's lift up our hands. Let's worship the Lord today. And in just a minute, Pastor Daniel's gonna come and lead us to the table of the Lord.